Good morning, everyone. It's great to be here. And uh, it's so exciting, isn't it, to hear that we're going to be meeting again face-to-face soon. Um, But wherever you are this morning, whether you're at home or on the bus or jogging or I don't know what you're doing, um, thank you for listening. It's great to be here to talk to you from God's Word. We're going to carry on um, in our series uh, from Luke 18. And uh, we're going to be looking at Luke 18, verses 9 to 30 this morning. And so if you'd like to turn to that in your Bible or your handheld device, whatever you're using, um, we've been looking at the kingdom of God over the past few weeks. We've been looking at Jesus' teaching about the kingdom of God over the last few weeks. And last week, Morris spoke so, so brilliantly on actually how our culture has distorted this and our culture promotes kingdom of self and how we actually need to be really praying that God's, God's kingdom comes to our world, comes into our lives, comes into our workplaces, our unis, our colleges, our schools, wherever we are. And so we're going to carry on this morning looking at the kingdom of God and looking at some teaching that Jesus gave on the kingdom of God. We're going to be looking at three stories, one parable and two incidents. So if you'd like to turn to Luke 18, and I will read it to you. Here we go. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. But he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him, saying, Come on, let the children come to me, and don't hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And then a a ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one's good except God alone. You know the commandments. Don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't don't bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, Well, all of these I've kept from my youth. And when Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But when he heard these things, He became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, Well, then who can be saved? But he said, Well, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, see, look, we've left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, truly I say to you, 
there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this life, in this, sorry, more in this time and in the age to come, eternal life. Well, just going to put my Bible down. There you go. It's really easy, isn't it, to miss the point or to veer off task or not to get it quite right. Some of us are better at, better, better at that than others. Now, when I was getting this um, sermon ready and preparing it, um, Corey, my wife, told me this really quite funny story from her childhood. She was nine years old, and uh, she asked for a hamster for her birthday. And uh, her dad was tasked with going to get this hamster. And so before he went to the pet shop, his mum, sorry, uh, her mum and her sisters uh, gave him kind of like a prep talk. You know, we've read up on this, and what you need to be looking for in a really healthy hamster are bright, shiny eyes. Okay, so when you go into that pet shop, look for the hamster that looks at you with bright, shiny eyes. Make sure it has bright, shiny eyes. And so off he went, uh, came back with hamster held aloft victoriously. I've got the hamster, put it on the table, opened the box. Look at this specimen. Look at its bright, shiny eyes. Look how incredibly healthy that, that animal looks. And Corrie quietly pointed out, Dad, it's only got three feet. <laughs> so a silly but good illustration of what was going on here in Luke. In these stories, the Pharisee, the disciples, the rich young ruler were entranced by other things so much that they, they thought was so important that actually they had missed the point of what it meant to follow Jesus. They missed the point of what the kingdom of God means. So let's look at story one. So here we have this parable about a man, a Pharisee, you know, one of the religious leaders of the time, and Luke doesn't kind of mince around with his words. He's, you know, he's saying Jesus was teaching here about people who trust in themselves, who believe that they are righteous. And this man did. This man felt, because of his hard work, because of his religious fervor, because of you know, striving for religious perfection, he was righteous before God. He was right before God. I fast twice a week. I give my tithe, you know, an offering to the, to the synagogue every week or every month. You know, I am right. I'm acceptable to God. I'm, I'm spiritually, I'm, I'm intellectually superior here. And you can see it in his attitude, can't you? You know, not like that tax collector. And then in stark contrast, we have the tax collector, hated by everyone for collaborating with the Romans, renowned for stealing, for extortion, and he knew this as well. He knew that he was wrong. He knew that he was a sinner. And it says here, doesn't it, that Jesus said that he stood apart, far off. So much so that he couldn't even lift his head. And he said, God, be merciful on me, a sinner. And then Jesus comes in with a sucker punch. The point of his story. This tax collector will be justified, forgiven seen as righteous before God, not the religious leader. And as Jesus comes to this conclusion, you can kind of almost hear, can't you, the, uh, the sharp intakes of breath from the crowd, the shock horror. How can this be? How can a Pharisee not be accepted? Why? Well, because God isn't interested in outward appearances or show 
or even our inward sureness or our intellect. God is interested in the heart of man. He's interested in a sincere heart response. He saves people who humbly and sincerely come to him. Now, the tax collector knew he had a problem. He knew his sin. He knew that all he could do was throw himself on the mercy of God. And this actually is at the heart of the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Following Jesus means humbly accepting that you have a problem, that you have a need. For all our admirable qualities as a human race, we are lost. We're unable to save ourselves. And the Bible is absolutely clear that before we put our faith in Jesus, we are dead in our sin. We're ruled by the world, we're ruled by the flesh, by our fleshly desires, we're ruled and influenced by the devil. We're hopeless, we're powerless, we're lost. And actually, me saying this this morning is very countercultural. You know, as Morris was speaking last week, we live in a, a self righteous culture a culture obsessed by itself, a culture that tells the lie, actually, you know, you're not that bad. You know, we're all inherently good. You've just got to unlock it. A culture that trusts in its own abilities, its intellect, its science, its wealth, its systems of government, its law and order. At Christmas, I, I heard an interview with Professor Brian Cox, who I really like his programs, actually. I find, I find some of his stuff really interesting. But he said this on the radio, and it kind of reveals the heart of humanity's delusion. He said this. He said, we've succeeded to find a vaccine for coronavirus in the space of a few months. Us humans have done an amazing thing. Look at the potential we have as a human race. I truly believe the human race have the answers to make this world a better place. That sums up our society's attitude. Our society has taken God and our need for him out of the equation. And we've ended up with a self-reliance, a self-righteousness that will actually never ultimately succeed in resolving this world's endless issues. Why? Because it doesn't deal with the fundamental issue, our sin the wrong, the evil in us brought about as a result of rejecting God's ways. We've replaced God's ways, his absolute truth, with relative truth. We've, you know, whatever is right for you is your truth. And this leads to a belief that we can save ourselves. And the result is that it kind of gives us this kind of wishy-washy, self-serving spirituality. You know, we, the, the inclusion agenda corporate values, civility charters in the workplace or civic life, you know, in politics, treaties, peace accords, declarations of human rights. None of these are bad and all noble things, but in the end of the day, these are all mere attempts of man trying to be righteous, good, without God. And they may succeed for a while, but sadly, they will always be hopeless exercises. We can't close our eyes hold our breath and try really, really hard to be kind or really hard, I'm going to be compassionate. You know, we may succeed for a while, but as we all know, because we've all been there, we will always fail. Because trying hard, trying to be nice, trying to be tolerant doesn't deal with the fundamental issue, our inherent sin. God created us perfect to walk with him. But because of Adam and Eve's sin, all of us humans are sinful. And there is nothing we can do to save ourselves. 
or save the human race. The Bible is absolutely clear. Even our best acts are like filthy rags, are like rubbish. Why? As we've been singing this morning, because God is holy. He is right. His standards are too high for us to, to attain in our own strength. And because of this, our sin, we deserve one penalty, death, spiritual death, separation from a loving God. So not only have we rejected God and unable to save ourselves from the evil around us, we need heart change. We, we can't do this on our own. But the incredible news this morning is that God hasn't left us stranded. He sent Jesus, who was without sin, perfect to die for us in our place. It says in Romans 5 verse 8, but God shows his love for us in, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So that now if we repent of our sin, if we recognize our need and put our faith in Jesus, we are covered by his righteousness. We are forgiven. We are acceptable to God. And more than that, we become children of God, loved and accepted by our Father in heaven. And this is the gospel. This is the good news that Jesus came to bring of the kingdom. And the Pharisee in the story had missed the point. No amount of human goodness, religious fervor, intellect, show, age programs, cultural institutions, slapping each other on the back, saying how wonderful we are, can ever be acceptable to God or counted as righteousness. The tax collector inadvertently got it. The only way we can come to God is humbly, fully recognizing our state, our need for him. And Jesus sums it up. He says, the one who humbles himself will be exalted and will enter the kingdom of God. This is incredible news. This parable is incredible news. This message that Jesus was trying to get across to people is incredible news because what it says is, is that we can come to Jesus as we are. What it says is, is that we can express our heartfelt cries to him and he listens to us. We can find relief from the pressure of stifling self-righteous requirements that sometimes we put on ourselves or maybe others put on, our, on us. And we, in recognizing our need and humbly coming to God, this isn't taking away our human choice or our freedom. It's the opposite, actually, in recognizing your need so that you, you can then receive the wonderful freedom and love found in, in the forgiveness and grace of God. You know, we're not sniveling subjects, but we're made sons and daughters of God. Isn't that incredible? So let's look at the second story. You know, I love this story. It always brings a smile to my face because I can imagine the disciples being real jobs worse here, okay? <laughs> and I always imagine in my head, this is how I deal with this story, I imagine Peter maybe in his fluorescent jacket reaching for his walkie-talkie saying, Matthew, we have a child approaching Jesus at 6 o'clock. Over. Roger that, Peter. I'll head him off at the clay, at the clay jar. You know, that's, that's how I deal with it anyway in my simple mind. Well, what was happening here? Well, actually, it wasn't that irregular because in that culture, children were often encouraged to go and be blessed by a rabbi, by a teacher. So I have absolutely no idea what the disciples were, were up to in this story. And Jesus takes the, the opportunity to teach the disciples and all around a lesson. You know, they were missing the point again. Jesus says... Come to me like these smelly, 
dirty, snotty, loud children. You know, don't stand on ceremony. Don't, you don't need to do a religious maneuver or, or wear special clothes or care about one-upmanship or who says the best words. Just pile in. You know, in fact, look at them. This is how you need to be if you want to enter the kingdom of God. And how do children behave with their parents? Well, they trust them. They have faith in them, don't they? Following Jesus means humbly coming to God in full trust and faith. You know, children, they take their parents by their word, don't they? Do we take God for his word? Life brings many difficulties and upheavals. It seems to have been kind of accentuated over the past year, doesn't it? But do we take the world's attitude and try and work it out ourselves with, you know, kind of put insurance policies in place, pension plans, investments, keeping up with friends, educational achievement, politics, you know, recreation? You know, none of these are bad. I'm not saying that. But always ask yourself, what is my heart? What is my motive? What is my attitude in doing this stuff? Or do we seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and believe that God will provide? You know, do we take God for his work? Do we take God by his word about who we are? You know, as I'm preaching this morning, the devil will, will no doubt whisper into some of your ears saying, you know what, he says that Jesus covers you with his righteousness. You're not really good enough. Come on. Or do we say, no, I'm going to take God for his word. Yes, I am good enough because I'm covered by Jesus' righteousness and he is good enough. You know, how do we deal with this? Do we take God for his word? Children, they totally trust that their parents will provide for them, don't they? Will feed them good food, will clothe them. You know, I remember when we were weaning our children. And I remember that, that first time you have a plastic spoon with a bit of mush on it and you put it towards their mouth and they open it and they just take it and it, they just accept it. And you just think, wow, they trust you so much. Do we believe that God will provide for us like that? You know, children are powerless, aren't they? They're, they're helpless without their parents' word or intervention. You know, they can't pay the gas bills. I couldn't say to my five-year-old, can you sort out the electricity bill? You know, they don't know how to cross the road. But do, do we recognize that actually we need God's intervention in our lives? Do we pray? Do we spend time with our Father who loves us? You know, in his time of greatest stress, probably the most stress that any human has ever experienced, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, just before he was arrested and crucified, what did he do? He didn't do a mindfulness course. He didn't go on social media and say to his friends, help. No. He spent time with his father. He prayed. He asked God for his intervention. You know, children, they don't see the unseen actions and thoughts, do they, that parents put in, the savings accounts, the buying of things, the, the prayers that go on in the background. Do you know that God is always silently working for you in love. You know, children, they believe that everything will be okay, don't they? They don't go to bed thinking, you know, will there be food on the table in the morning? You know, my son, when he comes down like a zombie in the morning, opens the fridge, gets the milk, it's always there. It's because we've gone out and bought it at six o'clock in the morning. <laughs> and that's the way it should be, isn't it? You know, why worry about these things? The pagans run after these things. That's what Jesus said. 
the unbelievers, people that don't put their faith in Jesus run after these things, your heavenly Father knows what you need. He was our, um, knows what you need. Jesus says, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Let's come as his beloved children, as we are, honest, open, and fully assured of his love and care. And then finally, just quickly, I want to look at the rich ruler. There's a lot in this, in this passage, but I want to focus on the last part of their conversation, where Jesus kind of hits the nail on this man's head, on this man's life. One thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. The man had great wealth, didn't he? But he allowed it to be the most important thing in his life. Wealth was his God. His reliance on it, his attitude towards it, was actually preventing him from entering the kingdom of God. And what was Jesus challenging here, wealth or his attitude? Well, he wasn't challenging wealth because God gives us wealth. God gives us riches. There's nothing wrong with that. It was his heart attitude to his wealth that had become his first love. That's what Jesus was challenging. He was asking the rich ruler here to change the focus that he had on, on how he saw his wealth, to see it as a blessing from God, as a tool to build God's kingdom, not to allow it to be the be-all and end-all, to use the resources that God had given him for God's kingdom as a means to an end, not the end, not the purpose. Following Jesus means remaining humbly faithful to him, having no other God or first love. And let's ask ourselves honestly this morning, you know, are there other gods in our lives? Is Jesus our first love? We, we can't follow two kingdoms. If we try, we will be divided. We will fail. It will be hard work. With Jesus, it's all or nothing. And this has been a real provocation to me as I've been getting this, this talk ready this morning, um, the, over these past few weeks. I've been asking myself questions about what about my family? You know, could Jesus say to me or to you maybe, one thing you still lack, allow your family to take some risks. <laughs> Let them discover God for themselves. Speak into your children's lives. Don't pander to their every need, you know, whatever. Don't allow family to be your God. Or maybe my comfort. Could Jesus say to me, one thing you still lack, why don't you get out of bed a bit earlier and pray? <laughs> why don't you give an evening um, or a week or a day, a week to serve or you know, someone or, some, or the church? You know, don't allow comfort to be your God. Or maybe identity. Could Jesus say to me, one thing you still lack, why don't you stop searching for meaning and identity in the world, in friendships, in relationships, in status? Why don't you rest in me, the bringer of peace, your new identity? You know, why does Jesus want our rule? Well, simply because it's the best thing for us. Our creator knows and loves us best. And when we push away from him and reject him, put other things in first place, it can never fully satisfy. We can never fulfill what God intends for our life if we're in a divided place. And this is challenging stuff, isn't it? But Jesus says this wonderful thing to his disciples at the end of the passage. He says this, Truly I say to you, there is no one 
who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. Jesus is saying, if you put me first for the kingdom of God, you will never lack a thing now and for eternity. So how do we respond to this? Well, I want to suggest three ways. First way is to rejoice. We were hopeless cases, but God has rescued us. He has shown us mercy. And this morning, come to your loving Father and rejoice in his goodness to you. You know, when we understand our need and humbly accept the grace of God and commit to living in this grace, we're not, as I've said already, we're no longer sniveling subjects. We're not sniveling subjects. We are sons and daughters of God. Let's rejoice in that mercy and that love that God has given us. Secondly, let's show the world. You know, we're not part of an arrogant, self-righteous, self-serving kingdom, are we? And, so, and sadly, the church sometimes has been that, hasn't it? But we're not that. We are new creations. Let's take Jesus' example, who considered equality with God nothing to be grasped. You know, he was superior. He had greater knowledge. He had greater power. And yet, he lowered himself and became human. He listened to the Father. He gave himself totally. He relied on his Father's provision. And he loved the loveless. You know, Paul said in Colossians 3, verse 12, Therefore, now that you have been chosen, holy and made holy and dearly loved, what's our response? Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. You know, let's express this mercy that we've been given, this kindness, this humility. Let's express it to the world. You know, it's us, isn't it? It's the church demonstrating the gospel, bringing Jesus to this world that's going to change it. And thirdly, don't rely on your own strength. Humbly come before God and say, God, fill me with your spirit. Rely on the Holy Spirit's strength. Be filled with the Spirit. Be continually filled with the Spirit. You know, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness to pray. He intercedes for us. He opens Scripture to us. He draws us into deeper relationship with the Father. And let's humbly come to our Father through Jesus and rejoice in his kingdom. Well, we're going to close this morning uh, with Chris. He's going to sing us a song. And uh, if there's anything this morning that has that has stirred you, challenged you, spoken to you, or you feel that you need to respond, then I would really encourage you, don't leave it. Please either talk to the person you're with or contact someone that you know who you can talk to about these things or contact the church. Please do that. You really do need to address anything that God has spoken to you about. And as Chris plays this song, I'm just going to take this opportunity to reflect, really, on what I've been talking about. Let's rejoice Let's be filled with the Spirit, and let's move forward in God, in Christ. Thank you.